Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1962. The album is Are You Ready for Phyllis Diller? The artist, of course, Phyllis Diller. And my guest is Riley Silverman. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're discussing your your first question, which is a reasonable question, was how old was she here? And I'm sorry, how old was she, was she in we this? We determined that she was either... Was she, so she was born in 1917, and she recorded this album in 62. Yeah. So depending on when the album came out and the, when she recorded it in the year, she mm-hmm. was 45 years old. That like, is shocking to me. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Like yeah. She's either 44 or 45, because she sounds so young. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's interesting because... We think of Phyllis Diller, I think, in a modern sense, as as always kind of being this grand old lady. 100%. She was awesome. Yeah. But, like, that's who she was. That was part of her part of her character was that she was this older lady. Mm-hmm. And so to even, like, think, when I hear this album, I go, oh, this is kind of cool to hear her young and at her prime. But she, when I mean, she's still in her prime, she's young. Sure. Comparatively. Mm-hmm. But that, to know that she's already 45 in this album yeah. actually gives me a little bit of hope, actually, yeah. as a 34-year-old yeah. in comedy as well. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you, and then you were reading off the fact that starting in 61, that's what she did. She Wait was in a, a film, Splendor Wait in the Grass. You're starting movies first. when you're 44 as a woman? Yeah, she well was done, uh, lady. her early career looks like she moved to Alameda, California in the 50s okay. and began working in broadcasting at KROW Radio in Oakland, California. Huh. And then she filmed several 15-minute segments to the Bay Area television series Phyllis, Phyllis Dillis, the friendly, the homely friendmaker, <laughs> dressed in a housecoat to offer absurd advice to homemakers. Oh my god! So I guess that was her whole thing. Was she was like thing. the funny housewife, yeah. and then she was like, but then like this like dilettante housewife. Mm-hmm. And with the encouragement of her husband, Diller made her debut as a stand-up comedian at age thirty-seven <laughs> in the basement of the San Francisco North Beach Club, The Purple Onion, which I know all about. Sure. Uh, on March seventh, nineteen fifty-five. Up until then, she had only tried her jokes for fellow PTA moms. <laughs> I guess your show's probably not just people reading the history of the person, god but damn. I'm fascinated by. No, this. that's crazy. I mean, I, and this is the kind of thing people get angry at me for not bringing up. So thank you for doing it for me. They just, you know. Normally we sit and discuss like a bunch of, you know, people who are up our own butts, but like, you know, you gave some facts, so thank you for that. I guess basically, so her first special show was a two-week stretch, uh, her show was a success in the two-week booking stretch out to 89 consecutive weeks. Jesus Christ. Must have been at the Purple Onion, and she had found her calling, and I guess her husband's business had failed, and so she says that she became a stand-up comedian because she had a sit-down husband. (laughs) I love it. Which comes up in the the album. Yeah. She's talking about how like her husband books her flights and stuff for her, which may be completely fictional for the sure. humor, but... It's solid stuff, too. I mean, I this is there... Okay, so you had never heard this before. Though. No, let's, I had not. Let's talk about why you picked her. Uh, I picked her because she is the first comedian that I ever saw live. So and that was, like, years ago. That would be... Oh, God. I, don't, I already aged myself on the show. Um, <laughs> I think... Oh, so I was, like, around... 14 or 15, I okay. want to say. Okay. So it was like mid 90s. All right. Yep. Uh, I can't remember the exact year because I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember what grades I was between because mm-hmm. I think I was still in junior high. Because I remember we were in my, my parents had this trip, uh, a convention for my dad's company in San Francisco. Okay. And we went to, I know we went to Monterey, California first, then San Francisco for the convention, and then we mm. went to Reno for like three days before right. we came home. And we saw her in Reno because she was performing at the Harris Casino we were staying in. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the casino, the, the, 
club she was staying at. That's why we got to see her because we had tickets because we were staying in the hotel. Okay. Like you had to go through the casino, so I had to like escorted the casino because they <laughs> would not allow anyone my age to mm-hmm. be in the casino with, unattended, mm-hmm. which was frustrating because there was a McDonald's in the hotel, <laughs> but you had to go through the casino to get to the McDonald's. So any <laughs> kids staying in the hotel had to be escorted <laughs> by their family. So you couldn't just go to the McDonald's during the day, which is like so Holy frustrating. I'm like, I'm on vacation. There's McDonald's in my hotel. <laughs> Let me go get a cheeseburger. Uh, uh, you know? uh, so oh my god it's the ultimate goal for a 15 yeah kid. you couldn't i couldn't go Jesus yeah Christ. so what was it like see i mean so in the mid 90s so shit so she's already in her 70s right this point. yeah what was that like it was insane like she was so good like i mean i don't i don't remember like a lot of individual bits from yeah. it of course but there was, there was just this really delightful like showmanship to it and she had like a band and she would like tell her joke she would she still had that rapid fire joke telling ability that she like right. has in this old album too and you know that was dirty but i didn't get the dirtiness because i was sure. a kid sure and it was like it's all she's just so brassy mm-hmm. and just and it just and just so just committed to the craft and just yeah. so just just owned a room mm-hmm. you know it was amazing and it, and it was just like one of the cause I, I, cause I already wanted to be a comedian at that point or i had i had ideas about it and i remember at the convention my parents were at one of the nights because they always would go off and do like boring adult things or whatever and mm-hmm. it was like a dinner they didn't invite the kids to or whatever okay and Jeff Dunham performed at that dinner and I didn't see it <laughs> uh-huh. and it's knowing how I feel with Jeff Dunham now is funny <laughs> at how mad I was that my parents got to see a ventriloquist and I didn't get to go uh, 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 so I think that was a big part of why we saw Phil Stiller in, in Reno oh, was my so parents good. were like okay well Ryan wants to go see uh, the comedian so why don't we just take we'll, we'll go see this so <laughs> So it's in, weird when I don't know how to use what pronouns to refer to myself in the past. Because <laughs> clearly my parents would have said he back then, but now sure. they wouldn't. So it's like, it's fun when I hear my mom try to tell a story about me when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And like have to like stop and be like, well, I, I, you know. So, yeah. That's an adorable level of consciousness. So yeah. That's great. I, but I, th- that's the kind of thing that kind of, oh my God, her like muted trumpet cackle too is one of my oh, favorite God. things of this whole yeah. album. Because she does it about 30 <laughs> fucking times. <laughs> And at her own shit, so great, yeah. or anticipating her own shit, which is you can't really get away with. No, unless you're a certain type of comedian. No, they, you know who, know who does it is um, oh I can't remember his name now. He had a special on Comedy Central like in one of the first like eras of those, uh-huh. and he would like laugh at his own jokes as like part of his cadence. We were like, like he'd be like um, like are you got the guy lives in a tree. Like, like oh, he would God, do yes. that. Why can't I think of his name? Fuck. Oh, and he, I know exactly yeah, who you're talking like, about. It would drive me crazy watching it. Because mm-hmm. like, I'm so like, oh my God. And it felt like every time he was going to get the bunch, he'd like cover his mouth with his hand. Like, yeah. like, like, like it was going to start making him so cry. <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember any of the jokes now. But. That's the funny thing too about this album. This album is also... Jeremy very... Hotz or something Jeremy like that. Jeremy Hotz. Or something like that. Okay. Something like that. Okay. I'll have to look him up because I do know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I gotta look it up while we're talking. Go ahead. No, good. Uh, do, your, do your show. <laughs> I just realized that I was doing that. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. No, no, good. To talk about your things. Talk into your mics, whatever. Just talk to your kids. It's fine. She, okay, so this album, and I don't ever start with the problems, but the big problem I have, and it's rare for me in these old 60s things, is there's so many references that went way the fuck over my head. Oh, yeah. I, I have no shit. idea. Um, um, trying to figure it out from context. That's him, Jeremy Hotz. 
There we go. Yeah, hundred okay. percent. So that guy, somebody yes. else will do his on vinyl if he ever has one. <laughs> yeah, I uh, hope so. So you'll never have that on your. Show. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's. I, I don't want to. I don't like that. Ape is not kill ape. I don't know why I'm making fun of another comic that is probably a delightful guy. Um, I just remember that cadence as a kid driving me crazy. Driving you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So back to Phil. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it's definitely very referency mm-hmm. for a comic whose material is not at all like necessarily um, topical. Yeah. Like it's very. Beat, beat, bunch, punch, punch. But right. there's these jokes. You're like, I don't know what she's at, what she's referencing here. Right. But, but I think, the crowd is going nuts for it. Well, that's it too. And I, I'm assuming because it sounds mo- well, maybe not mostly female, but the wives are there. Yeah. Just if if I'm gonna go off of what the stereotypical demographic of 1962 is. Yeah. It's tons of husbands and wives, and I think that's why it works. The specificity of these household items, because yeah, most of these women were not working except for at home. Uh, and that's just it. Like, she's got this, I don't know, there's there's something, she's the pre-Roseanne Barr, uh, you know, the domestic goddess, and, but she also... She paved the way for it. Exactly. Yeah. And, but it's it's all mostly about how she's such a shitty housewife, and it works. Like, everything works in it. Like, how bad she's in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. My favorite joke on the whole thing, it's gonna maybe be hard to pick these apart in terms of jokes, but if you, if you can, great. Yeah. But my favorite bit is when she's talking about cooking... So stupid. But making pudding and how the 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 the, the spoon is stuck in it, the the people tried to to stir it and the whole room turned around. Yeah, yeah, like that's a, a good line. It's solid a, joke. The, the 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 commitment she makes to this absurd reality that yeah. exists in the world she's painting is amazing. That mm-hmm. the audience like. In a way that I don't think today you can get away with. I think today if someone goes, oh, it turned a bull and the, the room spun, people go, no, it didn't. <laughs> like, people were so skeptical of, of the realities you build. But this in this world, she's just so... Uh, I think maybe, too, the, the venue, I think she says in the very beginning, she's at the Hungry Eye, which oh, yeah. is yeah. a really hip club that was in San Francisco. Yeah. It's where, like, Mort Saul yeah. like, really blew up and stuff like that. So this is a crowd that, like, understands things and are, like, and, like are in tune sure. with things. So she's probably, like, right prime for them. Yeah. Um, I think Bob Dylan Dylan performed there a lot when he That's was right. like that thing. So it was yeah, like that it was a folk kind club of... too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, or is it Hungry Eye in San Francisco or is it New York? No, it is. is Hungry, Eye, Hungry okay. I am yeah, Purple and yeah, you're right. both okay. like the two best clubs for albums in the 60s. It's yeah, yeah, so it was great. I'm from such an old family has been condemned. <laughs> oh, I am descended from a very long line my mother once foolishly listened to. to the bookie of the month club <laughs> oh and this month I just got the book it's called Getting Along with People by Maria Callas <laughs> oh god I, my favorite bit on the album was such ridiculous it was uh, it was just a good one liner but it was when she's talking about her, her like heritage or whatever mm-hmm. and all she says is uh, I descended from a long line that my mom once fell for and it's just <laughs> such a clever line I, solid. I laughed so hard when mm-hmm. I heard that like, that was why, that was probably my first major cackle at the album listening yeah. to it and then it was hard because I was like I wanted to laugh along but I also was like listening to it and just like just in awe of her that timing was, and mm-hmm. her ability and yeah. It's so solid. I can't... So she's what? So we established she started at 37. So she's eight years into a, a stand-up career here. Yeah. How does this feel for eight years into stand-up for you? I mean, I mean it's pretty good. It's, it's really polished. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I definitely know people in this day and age who, at eight years, definitely could have cranked out an album of this caliber. Mm-hmm. So it's not, like, unheard of. Mm-hmm. But it is an era back then, too, where, you know, she, apparently she was, you know, they said she was doing, like, like weeks and weeks at this, like eight weeks at this mm-hmm. venue. It was like a year. It's like that's that's what that's what happens when you're on stage every night and you're just getting polished and just yeah. killing it. So that's the other thing too is like 
at the one venue. So you know your audience, you know your demo, you know the laughs are probably going to land based on where you are, too. Am I wrong? Or is that... Yeah, I I'm not a stand-up, so. so I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, she's probably already moved on from doing that one venue over and over again. Probably, but, like, right, right. I, I still think, yeah, I think, like... I've seen house comedians at certain clubs who are there consistently who just know the room. Yeah. And like when I was in Ohio where I grew up doing comedy, there was a, there's a guy who's still there who is a local radio host mm -hmm. named Dino Tripodis and he used to be a road comic. Okay. And then he basically got this, this cake gig doing morning radio in his hometown. He's yeah. like, okay, I'll get off the road and I'll just live there. And like, you know, it's, it's a radio station that I think he's come around on it. I think they've changed their format a bit, but for a while he hated all their music because it was very adult contemporary <laughs> okay. it was like whatever but he you know it was a well-paying job and they mm -hmm. didn't make him pretend like he loved the music he would make fun of it it was all fun right. like playfully um, and every Thursday he would host at the Funny Bone in town mm -hmm. and so every Thursday there was a crowd that came out that were just as likely to be there to see him as they were the headliner performing. Wow. And so he has, like, audience that just knows him and recognizes him or whatever. And, like, every year at Christmas time, they do this big uh, charity show where mm -hmm. all of us from out of town, when we're back in town, we all jump on it, too. That's it's awesome. a And he hosts that in a Santa costume where he gets drunker and drunker as the night goes on. It's delightful. That's that I don't think he ever watches the Santa costume in between years. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing where I think when you're really in front of a crowd a lot and you have that familiarity to it, mm -hmm. I think that you can start to get away with a lot and you can always start to like build a, a voice and stuff like that so how how common is again this is completely from ignorance like the local comic thing as a phenomenon like i know a guy who collects local comic records from like 60s and 70s and it's crazy the people you've never heard of yeah i believe it is that still a thing yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it was never a huge thing in my hometown. Like, like Dino was definitely the exception to the rule. Okay. Most of the comics who were local, mm -hmm. who, if they weren't professionally, they would have to be on the road a lot. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what you find in America mostly these days is people who, who are not living in New York or L.A., if they're mm -hmm. making a living doing comedy, they are most likely traveling at least 40 or more weeks out of the year, mm -hmm. if, if not more than that. Um, that. That's your typical thing. So, like, you're not... Unless, like, the only city, I think, where people can really make a living staying in the city and not traveling, I think Boston, maybe not even anymore, but it used to be you could, like, live in Boston. You could mm -hmm. be huge in Boston. I mean, you would, and, like, that's, like, a self-contained scene. Yeah. There's a whole documentary about, like, when stand-up ruled the world or whatever. And oh, it's yeah. All about that. And, like, so that kind of thing happens. I think... Uh, so nowadays, like you, you can probably still find a million comedy albums out there for comedians that you'll never hear of. Yeah. But there are people who are doing, you know, living out of a suitcase basically. Yeah. Like, I, I did it for a while. I, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could have lasted doing it the way that I was doing it. But I, I definitely learned a lot from it. I, I think it was. Bet. The, yeah. Um. The one thing too that strikes me listening to this is, have you ever listened to Rusty Warren? No. Okay. A lot of people haven't. She is. She's still around. She's like ninety now. Uh, she doesn't do stand-up anymore. But, like, her stuff was, like... I, I don't like to compare comics, but it was if Phyllis Diller... Well, A, was musical, because she does a lot of songs, but B yeah, well, was... So a Phyllis in her later stuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then also worked just below Blue. Just okay. almost Blue. Um, and the Which one again, thing... I think Phyllis does, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... She yeah. definitely the does. One, the one line that I remember from her when I saw her in Reno, mm -hmm. and she was singing it, which is why it's funny that these people came up in the same okay. time. It was, uh, the line was, my breasts are firm, they should be, they used to be my knees. And, like, <laughs> I didn't get it as a kid. I almost still don't get it now. Right, but, right. Yeah. I Yeah, it was just, like, I remember, but I remember, I think, at that age, like, that's a dirty joke. Right, 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 right. Her breasts, <laughs> you know? That's the thing about Rusty, is, like, Rusty is... 
uh, or was again her like when she was doing her act like a little blue, mm-hmm. uh, but there was something about that 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 reached out to housewives for lack of a better word. And I like that about Phyllis Diller because she knows her fucking audience. And I yeah. think it's kind of empowering to hear this woman on stage telling your world in a comical way, you know? Oh, it absolutely is. And this is an era where like the housewife was the default thing that we expected of women. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was really important for Phyllis to be up there still talking about being a housewife mm-hmm. like that was that was the cultural expectation of her but clearly subverting it yeah and clearly clearly it's like actually she's like i'm actually a per- like none of this stuff's actually happening she's not right she's not really at her house cooking and making turkey and stuff like that. that's right. all fiction because she's she's clearly living full-time as a comedian and working full-time as a comic mm-hmm. she's the breadwinner for her house mm-hmm. but she's telling these stories like oh yeah my husband goes home from work and i'm making turkey and mm-hmm. i'm dealing with the kids ah. <laughs> she's not she's not doing any of that yeah. it's all a lie and it's 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 so i mean she may have been up until she was 37 sure but now she's moved on from that, and there's there's such a transcendency to that that mm-hmm. I think was so important. And like, I don't think she necessarily gets enough credit for having been that kind of right. role. Right. You don't think about it. I mean, if if we're gonna go back to Lucy, was still like the kind of go to for who was the famous woman comic, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, and wasn't a stand up. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, the the people who like if if you flip through the Rolodex of who you're supposed to think of from the '60s, yeah, it's Lucy. Yeah. Like, and then Phyllis Diller. Like, I guess we think I think of her again <clears throat> in her '70s when you yeah. saw her. And when you get into this, when you get into the the '70s, you have your Joan Rivers and stuff sure. like that. But yeah. you know, and I think part of it too is that Phyllis really kind of started to switch over to. She has this huge gay following. She mm-hmm. was like very, she was very uh, like like culty and, and like campy in the gay world. Mm-hmm. So like I think that might have been part of it too. Is she kind of like became this niche act? But then again, showing showing Reno, my family, it wasn't like it was only it wasn't like it was like a like all gay audience or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It just became like maybe that's what people thought of her. I don't know for sure. Right. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> boy, I'm trying to think. She, she like she's also so incredibly at the same time that she's like doing this uh hi i can relate to you work she's also like so self-deprecating like all not upsettingly so but to the point where she's just talking about you know she's commenting on her looks which i guess she maybe she was more famous for not looking like a model but it's not like she's a bad looking lady but like she just immediately like she starts out by trashing herself yeah yeah well she definitely had a very distinct like like quirkiness to her look and she played Mm -hmm. it up like with these you know these boas and like the crazy flappers and stuff like that like and that was like that's how I think of her as all. I always think of her in like a sparkly dress with a boa, yeah. and, which is shocker. She's so loved by the gay community. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is why it's so funny because we were up in uh, actually recently. It was funny after I already talked to you about doing this show, mm-hmm. and we hadn't scheduled it yet, and I already knew we were going to do Phyllis Diller. I was on a very weekend getaway up to Idlewild, mm-hmm. and there was like this ridiculous, awful like thrift store full of curios and stuff like that. And when you first walk in, there's all these really strong staunchly christian signs like really <laughs> heavily which is always fun for someone like me to walk in like oh my god are you guys gonna let me in here are you? <laughs> but um they like just very judgy kind of stuff like yeah. 10 command like that kind of so it was like very ned flandersy um <laughs> but then there was a there was like a lamp with like it was a phyllis diller lamp and i almost bought it it was clearly handmade uh-huh. it was probably somebody made it like in a ceramics class or whatever <sighs> Um, Wait, was I, it shaped like her? It was like her head. Oh like my her fucking god! Like a Phyllis Diller face, oh and like had like a boa around it at the base. It was awesome, but it was oh. 
like I think it was like two hundred something dollars. So I'm like, all right, well, I uh, can't do that. But oh my god, let me see. Like, did I take a picture of it? I don't think oh I, god, I did. Hope so. I don't know if I did. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna be so mad if I didn't because I think I meant to for this, and it was like horrifying. Um, let me look through here Holy real quick crap. and see if I find it. I, I bet you I don't because I think I would have seen it while scanning through this at some point. Yeah, but uh, you know what's here. so weird is the idea. Like it, this happens a lot on the show. I've been doing it for five years now, and this is the first time I've ever listened to Phyllis stuff through you know i've maybe heard a bit or two on a clip show but this is the furthest through that i've listened to any phyllis stiller yeah and that outside of this and the show you saw live i mean what's your knowledge of her work or is it just that she's just there she's just a presence for you i mean i definitely have heard i, I remember seeing her on like i think she was like on a muppets thing when sure, i was a yeah, kid so i yeah. knew her from that and i remember comedy central did this the 100 best comedians mm -hmm. right now or whatever and she or maybe it was even of all time mm -hmm. yeah it was all time because i remember richard Pryor was number one he was okay. already dead at that point sure but uh she was like they did like segments so they did like 20 they did, like five 20 comic segments okay and they would okay. go through them all and she was one of the guests on one of them and it was so awesome to have her yeah. sitting there i was like this great and like laughing and, and keeping up everybody <laughs> mm -hmm. and just being and she was already probably like in her 80s at that point yeah so Oh my gosh. She seemed sharp as fuck up to the end. She was. Guys, I realize that all the women in the audience have absolutely got to wonder why I am dressed like this. <laughs> There's no excuse. <laughs> but there are a lot of reasons. Mostly, they involve bad luck. <laughs> one thing I want to explain, uh, these knobs here in front, you could twist these all night and the picture doesn't get any better. <laughs> She's one of those people who I just laugh thinking about. Like, yeah. there's something about her, you know, again, she could just... You just picture her face mm -hmm. with, like, like a, like, a, like a wide, gaping, like, mm -hmm. just excited look and, like... Just, yeah, it just, and it's just so fun how as she got older, like, there was, like, all this, like, like, her husband, like, like, you can, like, there's, like, kitschy things that, like, became part of her mm -hmm. on stage. Like, her husband's name was Fang, uh -huh. and, like, that kind of thing, and, like, yeah. <laughs> Did you, okay, so, all right, is that, is the live show the first, your first knowledge of Phyllis Diller? I mean, I, I think I vaguely, no, I, I think probably, yeah. I think, I mean, I think at that point, I didn't know a lot about the history of comedy, <laughs> and, like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I... I knew the big ones, like I knew, um, you know, I knew, I, I was a big Steve Martin fan growing mm -hmm. up, so I knew Steve Martin, and I knew Lucy, sure. and I knew of Joan Rivers, and I, I think I vaguely, I think I knew her a little bit only from the Muppets, but I don't think mm -hmm. I would have been like, oh yeah, the Lady of the Muppets show, but yeah. I, I'm sure I'd seen her, but. So at 15, you're watching Phyllis Diller, you already know you want to be a comic to some degree. Yeah. Stand-up comic, or you just knew you wanted to be in comedy? I, I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to be a stand-up, but at the time, I think I just wanted to be in comedy more, because mm -hmm. I didn't really know the vi the, the vast differences. So. That's true, yeah. I had probably seen her, too. Like I remember once in a while, there'd be this like interesting like comedian specials on TV and stuff, where we'd just go through like a bunch of different... I mean, I, I, mm -hmm. this is like a very vague memory, but I remember mm -hmm. like it would just be like clips of various comedians, like almost like a retrospective kind of thing, mm -hmm. and like I, I remember one, one with Steve Martin, where it was really weird, where he went on, and he... So he like did this thing... Where he like put like a banana peel on top of his head, and then he like 
put the other half of it coming out of his he had like a piece of the banana coming out of his pocket and then he like sprayed whipped cream on his coat and he's like okay now I know this doesn't make any sense however now and then he stopped and then the, the joke was that his character just realized he has no idea why he did what he did <laughs> and he goes well I feel stupid like it was the weirdest thing it was such a weird absurdist thing oh my god and I remember that and I think I saw some of Phyllis Diller in that because I think that was mm-hmm. the one I was like, where I just, like that's why I got like my big rundown of here's all these famous comics yeah like, yeah yeah. Did you grow up with any comedy albums? I did. I'm a little embarrassed to admit them. No, no, no. That's good. That's uh, because, the best shit. Okay. Well, I, I hope mean, they're super racist or something. Well, they're well, they're they're <laughs> offensive for other reasons. Oh now. yeah, of course. No, that's uh, everybody's. Don't worry, uh, that's everybody's. First yeah, yeah. Comedy albums. Yeah, yeah. So I had those. Uh-huh. Um, I, I had, I had. The, it's it's clear what I'm talking about. We now, need a right? code yeah. name for them. Uh, though. Yeah. That's great. They, uh, they, they were. Uh, <laughs> Batman. Yeah, they, they, uh, they, they were. <laughs> they're bill cosby i'm just gonna do it they were, right, yeah so i had bill cosby and then also mm-hmm. i got really <laughs> oh we had a lot of jeff foxworthy when oh, i was that age because my fine. mom so mm-hmm. that's like right at the height of his powers i think mm-hmm. even before we had the sitcom mm-hmm. but it was like you were starting to get like redneck books coming out and sure, stuff like yeah, that yeah, yeah. and i remember we would like my so my parents had this boat at lake erie and we would drive up to it my mom and like sometimes my mom and I would go up later. My dad wouldn't be there. Whatever. He'd already be up there because like as the, whatever. Sure. So like my mom would wait for me to get out of school and we go up on the Friday night. Oh, okay. My dad would like go up earlier in the week to get ready to get boat ready or whatever. So anyway, so um, we were driving in the car and she had bought like these like truck those like truck stop cassette tapes of comedy. Sure. And she had like three of them for Jeff Foxworthy <laughs> and like th- between the three of them, each one had. Like all the bits were repeated over the course of the three because they were like they were like yeah. side one whatever and then like we started like slowly buying his albums as they came out and like listening to full albums of his and we of thought course. it was great like we laughed so hard because I mean for all the for all the ridiculousness that the blue collar tour became and stuff yeah. like that I mean Jeff Foxley knows how to write a great setup and a punchline yeah and he's a he's a good just joke comic yeah and he was at that time like it was. One of the first times, too, I heard a comic who just, like, told stories from his life and stuff like that right. and made it really funny, which yeah. is something that I still, I do, so, mm-hmm. you know, he did influence me, so. Well, the weird thing about him is I'm, I'm certain that's how he started out. The fucking redneck thing was a bit that clearly caught on. Yeah. Made him a shitload of money. Yeah. I mean, if I was a comic, again, I have to imagine, if I'm a stand-up, I still get to tell my stories, but if I have to, like, market this one damn thing I say. Yeah. I, that's okay, and it's a good thing he does. He he does the he does his whole set, you know. And to be fair, like I, I do think that I matured out of what he does comedically. Sure. Um, or uh, mature maybe the bad word, but I evolved as a, as a fan of comedy and so yeah. he does comedy past it. Um, to where some of his stuff it feels a little more formulaic than it did back then to me. Mm-hmm. However, like we had, at my day job, we do captions for TV shows and stuff like that and specials yeah. and, and sometimes we get older things to redo for streaming mm-hmm. and we got one of those like, it wasn't Blue Collar, it was a thing they did after Blue Collar without Ron White. It was called, oh, it was called Them Idiots the World Tour oh, and world, world was spelled W-H-I-R-L-E-D oh, and it was, it was, um, it was him and Larry and Bill uh-huh. and then a comic that I actually had worked with before, Reno Collier, was hosting the show. Okay. And then, like, they would do, like, they would eat, the three, like, Reno did a very short set up front as a host. Mm-hmm. The three of them would do, like, their 20-minute set or whatever. And then mm-hmm. at the end, they'd all three sit on stage with Reno oh, yes. doing them okay. and do a panel, which sure. I, I actually like that format for a touring show like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I think it's fun to watch and maybe it's fun, me as a comic, like, it's just fun to be part of that kind of thing. But I felt like his set let's say he did a 20 minute set he did like 19 minutes or he did like maybe like 17 minutes without doing the redneck jokes and then he closes out on them strong yeah 
And I'm sure when he headlines by himself, he does an hour of comedy. I'm sure he doesn't do redneck jokes until the last two minutes. Right. So the crowd leaves, doesn't leave going, he didn't do any redneck jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also gets to leave on a super high note. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm. What makes me sad, though, is when you're talking about that and that there's no Ron White. He's the only one of those that I can handle still. Yeah. He's the only one of those guys who, I mean, uh, there's only one of the four that's a giant homophobe. But, I mean. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I assume. In, <laughs> yeah. in the jokes. Unless maybe maybe Bill Engvall. Bill Engvall? Well, write I me an email. Are you... Larry's a great example yeah. of what we were talking about with Foxworthy, where Larry started out as Dan Whitney yeah. doing comedy as Dan Whitney. And mm-hmm. Larry the Cable Guy was a weird character that Dan was doing mm-hmm. as a caricature of a type of person but then that slowly became what he was known for Mm -hmm. and then the people he was caricaturing became his audience and suddenly his entire act was Larry the Cable Guy and he's got a crazy marketing (laughs) empire and like it's one of the things where like I don't know like if it eventually just took over his brain or I don't Mm -hmm. think if he's someone who who goes home at night and like looks in the mirror and is like they don't even see the real dad anymore (laughs) like I don't know what the deal is I have to feel like he's been in that world for so long that that's who he is now because right. otherwise the alternative is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. This poor guy is trapped by his <laughs> immense success. Are you in there, Dan? Yeah. My God, it's so painful to think I can't about. Can't see me anymore. <laughs> Get her free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just can't imagine. Oh what that's boy. Like. So and you know the funny thing too about that, like I don't think you have. That's the weird. That's why Jeff Fox really caught on though, is because like there was this era. It's not you didn't have to necessarily be from the country or whatever. Yeah, there was just something about him that hit the zeitgeist. Com- yeah. it was it was easy to understand, easy to. It was it was fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was clean. And then I, at that point in my life too, I think that as important as albums are to comedy, I think that was really the golden age of comedy specials. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when like, cause you have you know, all the Chris Rock specials of that yeah, era. Yeah. And then you have all the ones that were like, one, like for my, my big one that I watched over and over and over again. And I could quote in school and mm-hmm. I knew it from heart. I could probably quote it now from like, if I, if I got started, I could probably do whole bits and finish them mm-hmm. was Dana Carvey critics choice. Oh, like Christ. that was, that was the special for me in mm-hmm. that era. And it's, it's one of the ones that I don't really like to go back and revisit because it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this was so great when I, when I was that age. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, it's so, it's so, the kind of comedy that if I saw it now, I would hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still like it because of, of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when he did this, his second special for HBO about like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. maybe even longer, called like Starving Monkeys Tell No Lies. Yes, yeah. And I couldn't get through it. Really? You know, like, oh, this is just, no, I want to oh. remember Dana Carvey as the guy that I love on Critics' Choice. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, I still quote it with friends and it makes me laugh like crazy. So I'm sure it's, it probably holds a bit. And that was that era where then I got into like, HBO had this really good run of specials yeah. where it was, uh, it was, it was, they're all, I call them the three Daves cause it was Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. um, killing him softly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was David Cross, the pride is back oh, God. and it was David Spade. Take the hit. David Spade stand up is one of the things that I, I love Spade stand up. I haven't heard it in a long time, so uh-huh. it may be horrible now. Okay. But, um, I've never heard it. Now it's, that I think about it. It's good like yeah. it's got some really funny stuff in it and i i honestly think that especially if you look at some of my older material i think that you can definitely see influences in my comedy from really? what spade does okay. which is funny because we're so different personality wise like because you know he's scrawny little sarcastic blonde guy and i'm slightly chubby trans woman like mm-hmm. it's like i don't think anyone would ever go oh she's just stealing david spade right, right. sometimes i'm like oh, i'm gonna get caught stealing david spade at some point but <laughs> it's just it's that very sarcastic um it's it's like very like cynical and 
just the, his cadence is very interesting. Like the way he, like the way he'll like kind of like side talk people. Like, oh, is that what? Oh, okay, no, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Fuck, and, he kind of invented that, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean he really that's did. So weird. I mean, honestly, if you've watched any of him on SNL, you pretty much did see him do stand up because his Hollywood Minute thing is kind yeah, of right. That's kind of when he, when he when he would talk about like those SNL segments he would do where he would talk about going to see bands and stuff like that mm-hmm. and like, things. That's just a stand up where he's like, uh, saw Big Country, they opened. With big country, and then he's like, people scattering out. It's like they're like guys like, wait, we got some more stuff, and they're all like leaving the room at the end of it. Um, he has some like he tells stories in mm-hmm. his stand up. Like he has this whole thing. Like he talks about like his dad like not being around when he's a kid. His dad showing up and being like a deadbeat or brings him like a football once a year. It's like oh like you're my hero, <laughs> whatever. It's really interesting because I huh. think that I think that the character he plays in his stand up is the best dissemination of what David Spade is bringing comedically. Yeah, and I mean like. He's great on shows like Just Shoot Me, sure. and he's really he's amazing in Tommy Boy. Yeah. But I don't know if a movie, aside from Tommy Boy, I don't know if any movie's ever fully captured what the best breakdown of what's, what's funny about David Spade, right. the way his stand-up does. Yeah. Um, so, which is interesting. I haven't seen his stand-up in such a long time. I'd be, I'd be curious to see what his material is now, because it's so different, I'm sure, from what it was back then. It's but. so weird, because the more we're talking about it, the more I'm thinking about just, like... It, it occurs to me every once in a while that the, the, the 90s, of course, is this era of just, like... It's just so dripping with irony and sarcasm yeah. that, like, once that was rejected by, like, some whatever alt comedy, if you want to call it that, right? Like, once yeah. that stuff, once that, it, it, it makes some of this stuff feel old, but then you also kind of got to respect guys like David Spade yeah. practically invented sarcasm in, in a certain way. Yeah, know? I think sarcasm definitely still is, is around. Sure. Um, and I think irony, unfortunately, still has a death grip on, <laughs> on what, what's funny in America these days. Chrissy, I'm an authoress, too. Now, my, my third book at this very moment is going into its sixth printing. Of course, if I could print better, I wouldn't have to do it over. <laughs> and the name of my book is Passion, Power, Greed, and Fury. It's a cookbook. (laughs) Which I have already been requested to rewrite by the food and drug people. (laughs) Boy, what a bunch of narrow-minded busybodies they are. They paid me a visit in my little spotless kitchen. The dog had died. (laughs) Well, actually, he committed suicide. He begged from the table and, by George, we fed him. It's funny because I'm, I'm definitely someone who gets sarcastic herself, too. But I, I've definitely turned a huge corner towards loving sincerity in comedy yeah. way more. But um, I definitely still hear a lot. I, maybe it's like, yeah. But um, what's another great... Oh, so the Spade one, though, I will say is interesting because I remember I think it came out in like 99 Mm -hmm. and I was like a senior in high school and I was like still debating like do I want to do comedy do I not want to do comedy and I remember watching that special and saying out loud I'm going to be a stand-up comedian like that special was so I recommend checking it out as someone who's a fan of like older comedy Mm -hmm. and like I know it's not on vinyl but yeah I'll take the hit and it's uh, it's definitely worth it I'm shocked that I haven't seen it or heard it but that's awesome. I, I love that you had that moment. Yeah, it was life. great. That's so good. He does this horrible joke in it about um, it, it's this is like the, this is the most blue joke on in the special I think. But mm-hmm. he's talking about like his his friend is talking about when his wife is having a baby mm-hmm. and like she's in the room and she's doing the PZ mod like where they're selling oh. her and the, and the guy's going like hit me. 
hit me. And the, and the doctor's like, like he's acting like the doctor, like like doing the like, like uh. and then the guy's like, hit me. And then the, at one point, the doctor's like, you got twenty here, man. I don't know. And then like, it's a really weird. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um. Something's got to be the David Spade episode. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. No, no, that's no. That's what all. No, this always happens. Yeah. And that's the thing. First episode two is always like semi-autobiographical, and that's my fault. Like, I always because I want to know more about my my guests. You know. Yeah. Um, well, I have an album. On, no, I uh. <laughs> some someday someone will be on talking about my album. So true. That will R- release it on vinyl. You'll be out for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I know, want we, to. I don't have the money for that. I know. They're That's expensive. The, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, we actually did a Brian Regan one, believe it or not. not I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, he Brian got released Regan, on vinyl, though. Brian, what's, what's that? He released one of his albums on yeah, vinyl, I mean, which was Brian, shot. Well, Brian can can pay for a vinyl factory himself. That's true. That so, is true. So, yeah. True. Um, I think I think the, the smallest printing that I could do on vinyl for mine was like $1,000 oh, still. Yeah. And since I haven't even sold all the CDs that I have of it, mm-hmm. I don't think that. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So this album, like, is yes, there anything Dr. else? That, yeah. What does anything else stand out about it for you? Like the, just in terms of like, I don't know, like how it's aged or how it still holds up. Cause it, it's in terms of like rhythm, it's the fastest fucking album. Yeah. It's quick. You know, uh, she is, she's one linery here and there. She mixes it up. I, I don't know how I could condense her style. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is. It's. At that era, I think most stand-up is still very one-linery, even when it's longer and, like, it's not quite so storytelling yet. Sure. But, yeah, like, like she has a whole bit. Like, this um, this cheese and turkey bit <laughs> is... is and actually, she does the cookbook, the household hints, and the cheese and turkey. Those are all kind of the same bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, like, chunk. And the, the cookbook is five, and it's, like, six minutes long. The household hints is almost three minutes. And the cheese and turkey is, like, almost, is like five, five minutes and 38 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of one consistent piece of material mm-hmm. but so it, she is like crafting a narrative but it's a narrative constructed entirely of one-liners throughout the, the right right it. right yeah so and like so like she'll what well, there's a great section where she's like talking about her neighbor mm-hmm. and then I, I can't remember what she says about her now but like every line like oh i have this neighbor she's this kind of girl like that kind of thing yeah and, yeah uh, yeah I love there's one line in, well actually it's a whole little subplot of a joke it's part of the joke where she's talking about um when your husband comes home and how she found something that you could put on yourself that would basically make you smell like, God damn it. How did she put it? I cannot remember. Make, make you smell tired or something to that effect. Basically something to make your husband avoid fucking you. Which, oh, I can't remember that was. I, I can't. I, I, this is horrible. I'm slaughtering it, but it's a really good joke. You guys should get the app. Yeah, I remember that there's a line where she's talking about like her husband came home and she's like, so I even put on a dress <laughs> over my jeans. Yes, right. like, yeah, yeah, Cause yeah. she knew she'd screw. Like, it was one of the things where, like a weird thing where like, she had actually like messed up, and so she was like trying to make things look nice and neat. Like, oh no, I'm doing good things here. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I put a dress on over my jeans. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm making you a Catwoman in this, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The way I dress, uh, it's so. Then there's there's a line that like it's there's some things that are very visual. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, oh, I, I can't hang this dress up on the clothesline, and she like does something, and the whole crowd's like, oh, yes, no. they go and nuts. I was, I was oh, trying to what, figure it what out. What is she doing? <laughs> yeah, I think. Was it? It, it might have remotely been related to flashing, and I, I feel like that. That's might what have I'm thinking. Maybe like it's like a flapper's dress. Maybe she pulls it up, like it suddenly is very low or something. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! And then yeah, the airlines like, um, there's like the guys that are out in the wing, like tightening the bolts while the flight is taking off, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't even land at the airport because that's how that's how expensive they are. That's how cheap they are. And uh, oh god, there's so many funny ones. 
that's the hard part when we're picking an album we've only heard for the first yeah time. I even thought like, I really gotta think of these bits and the one the one that always stuck out to me was the I came from a long line of a long line that my mom fell for so good. it's just a great line that's a solid job I mean that's the other thing too is like getting people to appreciate these older albums is is not impossible because a lot of my but a lot of my listeners are of the ilk that already own these types of albums so yeah. like I always I'm always well, they're, they're going to listen to it too so I don't want to spoil too many jokes on the album anyway sure so. sure and I'll put clips in through it like of, of you know the best gags or something I find that I forgot about you know um, but like it, it, do you ever find yourself having to when you listen to an older album like this or any older comedy like having to put yourself in a mindset where I can see why that's funny and then therefore you kind of get into this. Yeah, you know, Robert Klein has this Child of the 50s album yes. that I bought, like, when I was first starting out in comedy, because everyone's like, Robert Klein is the yes. father of modern comedy. Right. And it's weird because even when he recorded that album, mm-hmm. so many references are, are outdated mm-hmm. that he, he, like, shoehorns them into being in context for the album. Okay. Like, he's like, oh, do you know what they're showing now? They're showing My Little Maji on Late Night Cable. And I'm like, so here's a show that I've never even heard of that he's also being like, oh, they're showing this now. And it's like, oh, so you're, you are trying to convince the audience you're talking to in this album yeah. that this thing is relevant to what you're saying and that's how completely out <laughs> I, i'm a step removed from those people right like this you're talking to a robert klein audience and mm-hmm. they don't get your reference and right now i like the pieces together right but i go i mean i guess you i guess if you ever watched that show that he's talking about this would be an hysterical <laughs> bit like this would be so funny and yeah yeah because that's what's hard yeah. Like, and I feel like sometimes uh, maybe I appreciate things either just for the nostalgia, which becomes yeah. problematic, or uh, I'm like a child responding to rhythm. Like, I'm responding just to rhythm into the audience laughing. Yeah. I, I think even as a comedy appreciator, we can do that. Well, I, I wonder if that's like a th- if that's like part of, of the magic of comedy is it's not always about just the exact content. Like, because mm. I mean, like... Like, Brian Regan is a great example of someone whose material, if you just took it and wrote it out on paper, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this isn't really all that funny. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where to say you the U2 phrase. Like, right, you right, yeah, take, yeah. Like, take luck and care. But, like, Brian, with that voice of his, take, yeah. take good luck, care. <laughs> if you have luck, take it. Care. Like, the timing is <laughs> so, so true. perfect yeah. that I think it's really funny. So I think, like, maybe these older comics, even when you don't necessarily get the, the references... The way they deliver them and and the the timing of it and mm-hmm. the cadence and the voice, it's like a magic trick. Somehow it all comes together. Oh, embarrassing. You know, I work a lot of places where they have a dance floor. And one night, a gentleman asked me to dance and then danced three sets with me backwards. <laughs> all the time complimenting me on my figure. <laughs> I said, you idiot, those are my shoulder blades. <laughs> he said, I thought your bangs were a little bit long. Even I, like, I was very cocky when I first started doing comedy, where I was all about the writing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just, it's just, I go, and I, I would like poo-poo the idea of having to have like a solid stage presence. I'm like, I just go on stage and say my jokes. My jokes are funny. That's what it is. Because yeah. I, I really thought I was going to move to LA and get a job as a comedy writer. That's all I was going to do. Sure. And so that was my plan. And it, I started in 2001. And I don't think it was until even as late as like 2007 mm-hmm. that I really had that moment where I'm like, oh, I'm 
the way that I'm performing this is so much better than I used to be. Yeah. And like, what am I doing differently? And like, really just like starting to embrace it to where now it's so funny that I was such an arrogant writer <laughs> back in that day mm -hmm. because I used to have notebooks just full of joke, 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 joke. Yeah. Now, when I have an idea for a bit, I almost never, I, I almost never write down the jokes. Now mm -hmm. I write down the very basic idea right. because the way that I think of material now, it almost like comes to me already somewhat how I want to say it on stage. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and it's a little bit of a combination of like, of just having, I, I kind of compare it to like, this is a weird analogy, but like playing video games, how when you first start playing a game, mm -hmm. you're conscious that like you're pressing A to jump. Right? I'm yeah, pressing yeah, B, yeah. And eventually you're just like jump, fight. And then eventually even then like not even thinking about that, you're just reacting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how with comedy, you're eventually getting to a place where you're not thinking like, okay, what's the topic I want to talk about? Okay, yeah. well, what's funny about that? Well, how can I convey that? You're just like, oh, that's funny. Boom, this is it. Like, yeah. And there's certain shows that I've done that have really helped me to hone that ability. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a long-winded way of saying that, Kaden. But I'm saying I'm somebody who really knows that like her own act is very, very much my like anchored in how I say things and how I deliver them and what my face looks like and stuff like right, that. Right, right, so. yeah. I and the thing is, what I was going to describe is like that. My favorite part of this is her attitude, but I don't know if that's the right word. I think it is a hundred percent. It's personality is a better word for it. I think attitude, attitude helps though. Sure. But I think that attitude is part of her person. So I feel yeah. like I would, you know what I mean? Do you, is there, cause I don't know that she would, I don't think most people are, are internalizing or, or, or that like going to cut their own act apart enough where she'd be like, well, my act works because of this. Do you, do you have those moments where you're like, well, what's the part of my personality that is, or do you just like, uh, well, I'll figure it out when I'm up there. I'm curious. You know, what's funny is like, I, I feel like there was a long time in my comedy where the second that I thought, okay, this is how it works for me. And this is what's really funny. Then I can never, I never could write a bit yeah. that would work that way again. Like yeah. I, I could probably write four bits in a row that would kill, mm -hmm. that would all kill for like the same basic reason. It'd be like really funny. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, this is what's great about how I do comedy. And then I would never be able to recreate that. It's like once I, once I named it, I, I, I took away its power. Yes. Right. Uh, I think now that's not so true. I think that like, um, my, I think it's part of with comedy is just, the more you're true to like yourself, the better you are. Mm -hmm. And so, which at least, at least in my experience with my comedy, but like at one point I realized like my favorite kinds of comedy are when things are really dark, but also really silly at the same time. Yeah. And when I naturally gravitate towards material that is like that, I feel like I do better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because that's my own natural comedic sensibility. And so the more honest I'm being towards my personality, the better I connect with the audience because they see the real of me coming right, through. Right. So like I have, I, I have some pretty, like I, it's a thing for me now where when something really awful or painful happens in my life, usually I can, I can get through it by like my therapy is writing a really great material about it. Like I had an okay. experience that's um, last fall. I had an experience where I was really hassled by TSA at the airport when flying to yeah. a festival, which I think you heard me do that bit at that show. I at, did. Yeah. yeah. At the uh, comedy, mental, mental comedy show. Mm -hmm. um, and, I'm really proud of the material that I have from that. And it's almost beat for beat just how I would tell the story to somebody. Right. But it's it's my experience filtered through it. And then, uh, excuse me, and then, you know, that really started with, um, in minor ways, it started with my, I had, a, when I lived at my parents' house, my brother lived at home and my nieces had, were living with him half the time too because okay. he had moved back home after like a bad breakup okay. with his kids, whatever. And that was the first time I like, just started getting really honest on stage. And then it kind of happened through me coming out as trans. And then 
my brother, my brother passed away in 2012, mm. and about four to five months after he died, this like funny thing happened with his TV. Or my parents like gave me mm-hmm. his old TV, and I I found a porn DVD in in the TV, and, and like I remember, and it was funny thing for. I literally was just telling friends about it at like a uh, like a get together, and mm-hmm. they were laughing, and they were all comics, and they go, "This is a bit you're working on." I go, "No," and they go, "What should be?" Yeah, right. And like basically, just just how I told the story mm-hmm. was like, so like it just was me just being myself. Yeah. And so I feel like that's a thing that with my comedy, like it's material that I think a lot of people wouldn't immediately go, "That's that's a great idea for a comedy bit," but if right. you can make it fun, yeah, of course. But I think we should, you know, make sure that we uh, just emphasize if you do find your, uh, uh, you might be a redneck, you'll capitalize on it just to, for a million. Oh my God. I, w- I don't know what I would, I don't even know what it would be at this <laughs> I know, point. I know. What like, the fuck would it be? I don't know what, what possible, <laughs> like, uh, I remember it was so funny. There's a comic, and I, I, he's probably a nice guy. I don't know him at all. But there's a, a comic that my friend sent me a clip on YouTube for, and mm-hmm. his thing was that he would, like, tag his bits with, like, Shucky Ducky Quack Quack. <laughs> And there's a YouTube. Oh, I think I've heard of this. Yeah, part. and there's a YouTube video of it where he does like he'll be telling jokes and he'll like shucky ducky quack quack at the end of his bits and it's just like that's your thing. Oh my that's god. your oh. oh my god, it doesn't even relate to what you're talking. About. Oh man, it was just nonsense. like a silly thing to do, and it was like. But the thing is, it, it's strangely compelling because yeah, the audience of course is like it is. leaning in, like okay, hang on, what? Yeah. I uh, I think mine the closest thing that I have to it right now is less of an on stage thing and more of a uh, a Facebook social media thing, mm-hmm. which is where I I got to a point where I was so tired of fighting with people who just weren't or or people who like needed to say something that didn't matter or whatever to oppose, uh-huh. and so I would just respond with just the word great. Mm-hmm. And it's just a capital G, lowercase everything else, and a period at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people now, where like people actually purposely try to annoy me on my page so that I will grate them. <laughs> and there's actually been like a meme made of it that we awesome. no one really uses outside of my page. <laughs> but it's a it's a picture of me from on stage from last year because mm-hmm. I had a bit of a blank stare on stage. And so a friend of mine took the picture and like filtered it a little bit and then put great on it. So it's it's a really low rent version of the like Shepard Fairy. Uh, uh, Barack yeah, Obama yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. just me with the mic in my hand, just like uh, I'll show it to you. I know it's not gonna be a thing, but uh, you can probably stick it in there at some point <laughs> if you have like a thing. But um, yeah, so this is me. Which is <laughs> great. It's that's just fantastic. dead stare. Of, uh, that is yeah. so good. <laughs> so that's that's probably the closest thing I got that I have to that is is me great being just a shitty person. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so what I want to do, like okay, so obviously I'm gonna go ahead and assume you're gonna recommend that people. Go listen to Phyllis Diller. Yeah, I think that, I think so for sure. What's and actually? Reason? I I recommend this is a comedy on vinyl podcast. So yes, go look for the vinyl. Sure. However, I also recommend looking for clips of her online because yeah. I think her physicality is really important to how it's so. That's funny true. Like. That is true. That's one thing that's kind of missing yeah. from the it. material. Is I mean, it's it's rapid fire. Mm-hmm. It's smart. It's quick. It's polished. It's really solid material. I would put it up against any of the other comics working in her day mm-hmm. at, at, and and give her all her due. But I I think that her her facial expressions and her showboatiness are, are important to the act. Yeah. The closest you get again is her fucking crazy cackle, which yeah. makes me so ah! happy. <laughs> um, okay. So I don't know when this is coming out, so I apologize for that. Sure. But, uh, do tell people where you are online. And if you want to put some dates in here in case this comes out in time, feel free to do that. And I'll cut them out if it's irrelevant. Uh, I will just do online for now because the things that I think that are date wise are, pretty soon i don't know if i can promote them or not oh yet, okay so okay have, fine. Uh, yeah so um and if they do come up i can have you toss those in Robin. yeah okay um so i uh, can be found at the best way to find me is just go to riley silverman.com mm-hmm. and there's links to all my stuff on there um but if you want to look 
the old-fashioned way or the, the harder way, I am at Rye Silverman on Twitter. So mm-hmm. it's R-Y-E-S-I-L-V-E-R-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. And then I'm Riley Silverman on Facebook and Instagram. I can't change it on Twitter, so that's why. Oh, right, Someone right, right. already has it. So. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's a, it's a woman who only uses her Twitter to repost from her Yelp account. So <laughs> if you want to look up, if you want to see some uh, some reviews of a smoke shop at Chula Vista uh, or a vape, a vape shop, I mean, oh, no. uh, go to Riley Silverman. That if you want to hear my comedy on Twitter, go to at Rye Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> and on YouTube as well as Riley. It's, I think it's, I think YouTube is still Rye Silverman's my URL because that's my YouTube. Yeah. Uh, the, who, that whole thing with Google where like now you're stuck with your email address. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, also, a place you can find me online is my comedy album, which is not on vinyl, but you can pretend it is. Yeah. Um, it is it is called Intimate Apparel, mm-hmm. and it is available on iTunes and Amazon. <laughs> and if you hit me up on social media, I can I can tell you how to send me money to me to send you a physical copy if you want a CD of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. It's around ten bucks for each of the sites. I think it might be, might be cheaper on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, I put it out last year. It was a number one album on Amazon last year. That's when awesome. we came out, so that was pretty nice. Uh, so it's Rye Silverman intimate apparel well thank you so much for doing this thanks for having me this is awesome I'm glad we made it work out thank you for forcing me to listen to Phyllis Stiller because again I didn't I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't thought about it she's great um Thank you guys for listening. I don't, again, don't know when the fuck this is coming out, but you can go to lookingforwardmovie.com all the way through November. Well, you can do it forever, but uh, all the way through November to watch my blog by blog movie and uh, follow us on Twitter. Give us a fucking review. We're on Google Play now, too. So do it. Endless... Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. I'm Jason Klom. Gaziza, I'm Alan Rickards. Your last name is Rickard? And we are the hosts of Dispatches from Port Awesome, a news radio podcast. I, this is Jason again. I host the well-reputed... Reputed. This is Alan. Reputed. Comedy on Vinyl podcast, as well as some others. Alan, though. I've been on some podcasts, also I'm an actor, and have been for nigh on several years. The important part, though, is that while we're close friends, we found a bond when we discovered that we both loved the greatest sitcom of the 90s. Possibly of all time. I won't refute that. The podcast will go through the entire series, from episode one to episode 97. We'll be talking with other fans of the show, people who worked on the show, and you. That's right. You can email your questions about the show, and I'm not kidding here, to freakzilla at scopenet.com. Ah. That's right. We'll either try to get the answers for you ourselves or direct from the people who put the show together. It's a dream come true. You can also call and leave a voicemail for us at 646-801-WNYX. If it's relevant or funny or even stupid, as long as it's news radio related, you have a good chance of it getting played on the show. Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast. 
All of this talk of aged lunch meat and ghosts has made me peckish. Equally dumb closing quote. God damn it, Alan. Sorry. I, was that? Oh, that's in parentheses. I shouldn't have actually said that. Please subscribe to Dispatches from Fort Awesome on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WNYX News Radio. <laughs>